Hello all, welcome to the Lunar Sea Spire Steven Universe Fan Podcast. This is episode 246, and today we'll be talking about the 28th issue of the Steven Universe comic book series. I'm GC13. And I'm David. So we come to the talky issue at the end of the story. We weren't quite sure how the story would be wrapped up in just one more issue, but it did get wrapped up, so... The series did meet Ah. (laughs) the exact limit that it told us it was going to have. We were a little concerned, but it all happened. I'm going to put an asterisk on them having wrapped the story up. I have, like, like Ronaldo in Can't Go Back, I have so many questions. Well, yeah, because the comic starts off with Stevani miraculously being able to interpret the gem technology, you know, screens and readings from the ship, and very quickly takes us through thinking that they have an understanding of how the nebula works and how they're going to deal with getting out of it. My, my favorite part was the, oh, it's just like piloting the Star Skipper. And then it's like, actually, no, the controls are nothing like that because the Star Skipper was specifically like a car. Well, also, it's like this show has taken us, you know, first, we didn't believe that Stevani would know how to drive a car. And there was barely an excuse back in that episode that, oh, you know, Steven knows how to play video games. I mean, hey, my combined H's are high enough to drive a car, so I know how to drive a car. Like a really good driver. Right. And then, you know, Stevani actually drives the little escape ship, and that still doesn't make any sense because now it's gem technology, although it does have some human words on the display prompts, which is pretty oh, crazy. No, they, they specifically had a, a, a steering wheel and stuff. The Being able to fly the Star Skipper made sense because it was made for Lars, who was himself probably used to cars. Right, so we go from car to small ship to big ship, and so I guess we took enough logical steps, but their interpretations are crazy, because I don't know how Stevani has all the knowledge that they have. I mean, I know that that Connie is a part of Stevani, but this still seems a little bit beyond her. And yeah, we never, no one ever really asks why the nebula can do what it does, which drives me crazy, because that's, wasn't that the most interesting thing to know? Yeah, Stephen mentions, like, filtering out harmful gases, like, okay, so are these gases that can seep through the walls of the ship somehow? I mean, I I have numerous questions, like, foremost among them, why was that encounter with Sadie so positive? Like, everything else in here is some terrible, scary nightmare you have to escape. And here you have the nebula forcing Lars to, like, Lars, seriously, you, I'm just going to be your therapist, okay? Is is that fine? Like, does everyone escape from their therapy session and Lars is just too much of a coward to escape from his and that's why it all works out? I mean, I, I hate to bring in this criticism, but there just isn't a lot of, like, narrative cohesiveness to any of this. Like, none of the ideas are connected. Like, the fact, okay, Emerald's chasing them, and then they get some hallucinations from some bad gases in a nebula that aren't actually gem-related. And some of them have negative experiences, which don't get really any interesting emotional resolution. And then Lars gets affronted by being kidnapped, and then he resolves it in a hallucination with Sadie that he seems to be generating himself and not the hallucinogenic source. And then Pad Parasha never even has a problem. And yeah, Stevani like, doesn't really have a problem. Like this, this, this story was kind of too much. Uh, they, 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 they put in too much stuff and they couldn't explain stuff that really needed to be explained. Like it, it breaks what appears to be the rules. It, well, yeah, because it just, you know, I don't really get how Stevani is 
I mean, they ultimately are having a vision, but do they even touch their own body to return to it? Because the whole rest of the crew does? Well, no, Stevani never has a vision. You see, we have that Lars and the crew hallucinated Stevani, but they also have that cut where you can see on the real bridge, Stevani is still there pounding away while everyone is you know, in, in their hallucination. And then, once soon as they fly out of the nebula, Stevani is forcibly separated for no visible reason. Even Stevani seems confused by this. Right, well, it was also weird because we've never seen Stevani be pink before because the show always cuts away and we don't see what Stevani looks like separating. So that confused me too because I thought it was some hallucinogenic form. But also, Stevani does see Onion. So Stevani does get affected yeah and then they do nothing with that i I did like the huge emerald though i don't don't want to be completely negative that was a that was a nice little fake out oh the huge emerald was great well also because it's a comic you don't immediately think oh that emerald's too big to be (laughs) in this room but then they point it out yeah you really can't tell that emerald's too big until they point it out it's it's very perfectly done there and the the bit with onion just because we mentioned onion the bit with onion just walking along the background that was great. I did like that. But, you know, on the whole, I'm going to say that this this felt like, holy cow, got to wrap things up. Well, I, again, like, look at Florite. We had her or them face against, you know, the diamonds. And how does it get resolved? Well, she's about to be carried off to forced splitting execution. And then uh, Lars just taps her on the shoulder and says, get out of there. Yeah, literally a single page saying, oh, by the way, none of this is real. And meanwhile, in the previous issue, she looked like she was about to go Super Saiyan on the diamonds. Like, we were going to have a a fight where she escapes on her own. I mean, there's just not really any satisfaction in that. Which is... Yeah. And there's a lot of time spent where time doesn't need to happen. We get a whole young Lars flashback to explain something that Sadie herself says has already been covered. Like, we, we covered the territory of very explicitly spelling out that Lars is insecure because he's changed the things he likes doing to be dependent on impressing people, and he needs to instead change it to, if he's going to share his passion with other people, about helping and enjoying sharing with other people. Which is great, but it's like explained in so many panels. It's like, yes, it could not be any more clear. Yeah, I I do think that maybe this this whole arc would have been better if Lars and Pad Paracha had been the only ones who were you know, out and about, and therefore only ones who had to be focused on. Or, you know, maybe the others are off doing their own thing, and we don't find out what happened, and they're like, oh my gosh, it was so terrible, you know, once once they get rescued. But, you know, only follow two characters instead of cut to everybody. Yeah, because there was just too much to unpack with other characters. The fact that in previous issues, we dealt with Rhodonite sort of feeling separated you could have gone so much deeper with you know we had a, the whole ruby rider episode explored how dependent ruby and sapphire really were but imagine a gem that's technically one gem but two you know how codependent is that relationship but we don't really get that yeah comics comics do this a lot like it's not just this issue stupid universe so i can't fault this author too much for the like the rutile thing specifically but with the rutiles it's like oh Wow, they just, they resolved something that should have been a big deal to that character, like, awfully quickly. It's like, oh no, we're back together and we're not, we're not separated anymore, let's let's move on with the story. And I just, I just cut back to thinking when I'm reading, like, The Authority or something, and it's like, oh boy, they have some epic, epic battles that do not last very long. It's like the, 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 the breakneck pace of some of these comic stories is, is what you're finding here. 
Well, and there's at least four issues, though. So when you know that in advance, you can plot that out. But, you know, I don't know how these single issues are written. I would assume that the author has a whole story arc in mind and has written them all in advance. Well, maybe there's some some fudging on that. But uh, the speaking of the authority specifically, the arcs I'm thinking of were four issues apiece. So just like this, I'm wondering what is the deal with that Sadie Figment, like specifically because you know again, not only was Figment Sadie very supportive of Lars, but it's like even after Lars is gone, you know, after she says, you know, I'm not, you know, actually here, right? Like it's it's like it's actually Sadie. Because based on the, she says, I'm not actually here, not I'm not actually Sadie. And then when when Lars is gone and can't hear her anymore, she's like, and I miss you too. So it's like, is this tapping into Sadie's consciousness somehow? Wow, that would actually be fascinating. (laughs) That's one of those things that can only be confirmed in show, though, unless this writer gets another chance to come back and do another issue where they connect. Well, no, the the comics are their own thing. I'm content to let the comic be its own thing, but the comic... This issue specifically raises so many questions that it doesn't answer. Like, it doesn't answer what was that figment, how was the nebula, why was the nebula, and what was the nebula doing for all three of those. Honestly, of all the things, the the whole thing about this nebula is that it's not a great, well, I guess for the writer it is a great narrative excuse to have everybody hallucinate because it's just vague and out there and never explained, so why not? But there's just so many other ways you could do it. Just make a gem exist. This universe has that. Yeah. But of course, if it was a gem, then, you know, probably Steven and Stefani would want to reach out to that gem. So I understand not wanting to spend narrative time there. But then, like, I don't know. And also the whole point is to have Emerald chasing them because it puts it within that time frame and so that we have this large story in space. So you need a reason for Emerald not to chase after, you know, have to avoid them by going around the whole nebula. But I don't know. I don't know what else they could have done. I mean, you could have just left it at like, oh, this is a nebula where millions of gem particles are out here. And it's just horrifying, but there's no way to connect to them. It's just a graveyard. That was my idea. That that, that would be like really intense. Yeah. And like, honestly, with how interesting of an idea that is, you could just get rid of some of the other, you know, experiences we had in this comic and focus on something like that. You have to keep Aquamarine and Topaz, though. They have to stay. Well, the thing is, all the time that they have spent for like digging into that all the characters have these issues and these hallucinations they're not that interesting and they don't have a lot of narrative payoff so why go through them all well the, we have to we have to show something to to scare lars and i don't think you can get much scarier to him than those two i mean that's fine but maybe even only have lars affected just ignore the yeah. other gems but i guess the whole crew has to be incapacitated i liked i liked pat parasha not really being affected like her powers help her kind of see past the hallucination and therefore she can come forward and kind of act as a bit of a guide to Lars later. But the others don't really serve much of a purpose. It's just like, oh, the whole crew has to be in this together because of reasons. Well, and we've said that in this series, we enjoyed Pat Brasha's basically new characterization that didn't exist in the show. This is a very different Pat Parasha. Like if, if we're going to go through all of the comic issues and point out reasons that this is not canon, like Pat Parasha would definitely be on the list of why this is not canon. But I like the change. Well, the thing is, I think this is because I, I don't remember this happening in the other issues. So Pat Parasha in the middle of her talking normally has one of her 
past visions and that didn't happen in the other issues or in the yeah. show so before every time she said one of these past visions it feels like that was the only thing she was saying so it felt like she was in her own little world yeah but because this time she's talking like a sane person to Lars, and then in the middle of it says she sees a vision of the past before we thought pad parasha only lived in the past now she can both interpret the present and then she says things from the past which makes it even weirder that she would ever say those things because well, she has a present mind to not want to say those things because she'd be like, oh, Lars already knows that, you know? Well, the way she's being written in that one specifically where she's talking with him and then she says, oh, I'm getting a vision. It really reads like a joke. She, she's even smiling. Yes, it's because she's happy. She's hugging Lars in that panel. But it really looks like it's like, ha, I did what my character on TV does. <laughs> Well, maybe it was that. Maybe I missed that subtlety then. It, it does feel like an intentional joke to me. But I don't know, just, just looking at this this spread, these two pages specifically, there's a lot of text in a lot of this issue. Again, they say so much, and I understand so little about what ended up happening. Yeah, well, talk about text. I honestly kind of glazed over some of both at the beginning and the end where Stefani explains, especially near the end, like the gas situation, it just was like the type of thing that Pearl would talk about where Steven's eyes would glaze over. Remember in <laughs> Frybo where yes. Steven just goes into his own little world when she's explaining, Pearl's explaining the jump shards? That was me as Stefani tried to say Lord knows what about the gas. Yeah. I was I just mean, like, I that didn't mean anything to me after these issues. It was just meaningless information. But that somehow Lars also understood. Yeah, I forced myself to read it, but they, sh they should have... I just wish they could have found a way to trim a lot of this down. I, I think a lot of this is evident. Like, Pepperosha is just recapping to Lars information we already know in a lot of this. We don't need to see her tell him that. We can just assume that she does. So, yeah, I, I, guess, I guess on the balance, I'm actually down on this issue, and it... Makes me sad to be down on anything, but there it is. That's that's just what we got. Yeah, I mean, it's terrible that <laughs> this is such a negative view for this comic, but it's kind of what happened. Um, I don't know what I ultimately wanted out of a arc about Lars in space. I mean, I think like the narrative choice they had to cover Lars's insecurity fits with what they were touching in the show. And so that choice is totally appropriate. And I think the scene with Sadie was fine, but. It wasn't really until this comic. I don't think we were questioning the decisions made before. It's kind of like it just fell apart here. Like, we thought that they would have planned for this issue more of an explanation, but instead we get really unresolved conclusions to all the characters coming back into their own bodies. Even the way they find out just to get back into their own bodies is just touch your body. I mean, there's no... You know, I know it would be cliche, but overcoming their fear or something, you know, actually beating the villains in their head... Yeah to get back would at least make more sense. Nothing they do affects them getting back into their bodies. They think touching their bodies is going to get them back in, but it's just like, you know, a simulation inside a simulation from Rick and Morty or something. The only way to get out is to have Stevani pilot the ship out of the nebula. Right, it's actually just that, which is even more unsatisfying. Yeah, you want to talk about unsatisfying payoffs. The the letter that Buck gives to Lars, we were wondering, oh, what what significance is this? You, you know, is this? Are they loading Chekhov's gun? Turns out, no. All it is is it's an invitation to a potluck. Once Lars gets back, you know, they want to share some food and hear about adventures in space. 
Go team. Well, I mean, for Lars, it's a payoff because he was concerned about his reintegration into... I mean, he's always been sensitive about the cool kids and Buck, especially, who wrote the letter and and obviously Sadie. So this potluck lets him know that well, all is good. He wasn't really worried about Buck. It was it was all Sadie. That, well, right. And then it's not even that much of a payoff. It's like we, we see reading the letter and then we said, oh, I mean, this is so great. A party for me. I can't believe it. Thank you so much. And it's like two panels. Well, I don't know. Maybe I'm a stickler for parties at the end. It's like Mario. Spoiler alert. Mario 64 is ending. When Peach gives Mario a party and a cake. I'm like, that's the perfect ending. So for Lars, I think this is about as good as it gets. And then, you know, for Steven Universe, going out for pizza is a very necessary post-adventure ritual. Yeah, but no mention of pizza here. So I think Steven can bring pizza to the potluck. I guess that's true. He only brought, what, the plates last time? No, that was Sadie. That was Sadie. She was so practical. What did he... Did... No, Steven just came St- with Sadie. No, Man. no, Steven brought that sushi stuff from the, the short, the cooking with lion short. Oh, Where you okay. have the... You have the cheese puff and the... What was it? Avocado? Yeah, the avocado. I didn't realize those two were the same thing. That's cool. Yeah, that's that's what he brought. They didn't dwell on what Steven made. It was all about Lars and Azube. <laughs> but, you know, you look at it and you recognize those are the little sushi rolls he was making. Thinking of places where the show's connected again. Young Lars in this comic reminds me that I like the design of Young Lars. And after the show gave us that one flashback of Lars and Young Ronaldo, from I wanted Club. to see, yeah, I wanted to see more of that. And so seeing young Lars here is cool, but doesn't really do anything for us because it just shows that he used to cook for his family. But I kind of want to see more young Lars. So, hey, comics, remember how we want to see a bunch of fusions? Why don't you show us young Lars and Ronaldo? Baby Bears got their own spinoff TV series. Maybe they could make a spinoff series of what if Lars and Ronaldo had done the Explorer Club. (laughs) I'm sure they had a lot of pre-friendship breakup activities too before they did their own yeah finding the lighthouse but the beach city explorer club was going to be new man ronaldo has such an unresolved arc (laughs) in steven universe yeah he hasn't become a diplomat yet he just hasn't i mean i'm not saying everyone has to change but if he could like there's been multiple episodes including the rock ronaldo episode where (laughs) it was like ronaldo's being explicitly told stop being so annoying and inconsiderate of people's feelings and it just hasn't really hit him yet and he is just the ultimate outsider even among other outsiders (laughs) he is not used to people paying attention to him it you you cannot get him to turn off the look at me i'm important you know just because you all of a sudden decide to actually pay attention to him like that that takes time yeah i guess he can't be as quick to mature as his brother i think pd's not had the best path either due to his maturity. So. Yeah, I mean, growing up with Ronaldo, you kind of have to be the adult when dad's not around. So, I don't know. All in all, I wish this wish this issue had been better, had been a lot less talky. I am, even though I'm confused by it, I am glad for the supportive nature of the Sadie conversation. I had been dreading how bad this could be. when I When I saw the preview that it was just going to be a therapy session, I was so relieved. But, I don't know, too much dialogue and too many unanswered questions. Uh, those are those are my two big complaints. Wish they had managed to do something else with that. 
pretty much the same for me. I feel like there were a lot more places Lars could be in space too that would be interesting because in the show, the one time that we saw aliens on a distant moon gave me a lot of ideas for just what it would end, you know, seeing a destroyed moon base, you know, exploring the cosmos and seeing the ruins of the gem world or even an active colony of the gem world would be a really exciting direction for the comics. But I have a feeling that's what the future of the show might entail. So I guess we'll see what's to come. Yeah, that would be nice. It was a very interesting choice to have so obviously out of character Pad Parasha mixed with a very deliberate attempt to tie how we got from Jungle Moon to Change Your Mind with Lars. This is an incredibly intentional bridge between those two. So why have a very intentionally out of character character combined with the attempt to bridge two canon events? I don't know. Maybe a bit too ambitious. But seriously, what was up with Figment Sadie? <laughs> yeah, I guess maybe the Nebula just handed Lars a kind hand or he was able to overcome it. I mean, the thing is, we just get no narrative explanation. Mm. If he'd even just been able to dig within himself. But like, Lars makes no intentional choice to discover Sadie. It just happens purely accidentally. So I, I, I do note that all of the characters who bad things happened to were gems. And Lars was tormented by gems a little bit, but then the nebula decided to give him a therapy session. Maybe the nebula just has something against gems? Who knows? Gems and not quite organic humans. Well, I mean, we didn't we didn't see what would have happened to Steven and Connie, because they were never in the nebula long enough to start hallucinating too much. Be- before we go, I do want uh, to do a little bit of bookkeeping. We had been curious about this issue because the synopsis we had of it sounded like, you know, Stephen cheering Amethyst up like in one of the old slice of life issues. And it's like, oh, that doesn't seem to make any sense unless Stephen is having a nightmare. It turns out that that was just an oops. And that is the synopsis for the next issue. So we're going to be going back to the slice of life stories, I guess. Which I also feel... That since the whole Steven versus Amethyst arc in show, we haven't had any deep dives into Amethyst again. So I'm going to be interested to see what the this upcoming artist or writer's take is going to be on what the next emotional story for Amethyst could be. Unless it's just a repeat of <laughs> something from the show, which is something the comics do a lot. Yeah. But we'll see. Fair enough, I guess. But anyway, guys, until next week. I'm GC13. And I'm David. Don't forget to leave us a review anywhere you can. Later, everybody. Our opening and closing music is by James Roach. For more Steven Universe fan-related content, please visit LunarCSpire.com. Thank you for listening.